Blog Talk Radio. Well, it has been a long time, but it's time for Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, joined by my co-host, Kim Hopkins-Betts, and our other two co-hosts, Stella and Jennifer, who I inadvertently disconnected just before the call began. Thankfully, Stella has now called back in. Kim, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am well. Uh, Stella, how are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. And Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. It took me a minute to get here. First it told me I was in, and then it said, thank you, goodbye. (laughs) Yes, I was was the reason that you got told goodbye. Um, (laughs) My bad. I was trying to turn your microphone on, and instead I completely eliminated you from the call. (laughs) Well, you didn't get rid of me that easily. (laughs) Well, we, we, we haven't done this for a while, so I'm still getting reaccustomed to the technology here. Good to have all of you back again, and I'm sure that um, people who like listening to this program and participating in it are glad too. Um, we have a ton of email to catch up on from the summer, but let's start with anything you all want to talk about before we get going with emails and calls, if there are any today. And before we see if there's calls, let me give the call-in number, 347-994-2981. And press the number one. Uh, where shall we start today? Anybody have anything they want to start the program with? Uh, I think we have a bunch of updates to give folks um, if they're not on Facebook with us or if they don't get our newsletter because we've been busy this summer. <laughs> and so Kim, I want to make why don't sure you go that ahead. people know. Okay, great. I want to make sure people know that we launched an app uh, to help with understanding the model using the ALSIP. Um, doing Plan B, troubleshooting when things aren't going well, and that's available for free download from the homepage of our website, both for iOS and Android users. And if you are using the app, we'd really love your feedback on it because this is a new venture for us, and we do plan to have a second release in about a year with updates. So um, I think we want to make sure people know about the Norwood Conference coming up later this week, which is really exciting. A lot of great speakers coming there. We want to make sure people know about the summit on November 2nd. And um, we have a lot of great things going on there, too. And then the newest information, which, Dr. Green, maybe you want to talk about, um, about the upcoming New Hampshire Film Festival. Well, our documentary, The Kids We Lose, is premiering at the New Hampshire Film Festival in exactly nine days on October 11th. Um, And we are very excited that the film is, number one, already done, and number two, out there. Um, And our goal is, of course, not just to have it be at film festivals, but especially to have it be screened um, all over the world because it calls attention 
to the very brutal ways in which kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges are often treated and the frustrations um, that some of our co-hosts can relate to of um, finding good help for your kid and the frustration of seeing your kid being treated in a way that you know is not okay, but feeling like you have very limited options available to you. It is an expose, so it's not a film about the CPS model, but it is a film about how we treat kids, um, sometimes brutally, how counterproductive it is and how frustrating that is for their parents and teachers and other caregivers. So that's the New Hampshire Film Festival on October 11th. And I should mention that the Norwood Summit, the conference that you were referring to, is October 4th and 5th in Norwood, Massachusetts. And our annual summit is uh, in Portland, Maine, as always. And of course, people are welcome to come. We have dynamite speakers at both, including Julie Coston at the annual summit, which, uh, and she's a wonderful dynamic speaker on inclusion. And we have Bettina Love and Tina Payne Bryson and Mona Delahook and Laura Rogers and me speaking at the conference in two days. So if people can make it and haven't signed up yet, no time like the present. <laughs> Kim, thank you for those reminders. And by the way, I should mention that Kim put mammoth amounts of work into that app, and it's a project that she um, persisted with over the course of at least a year, maybe two. Kim, you've probably kept better track of that than I have. And um, I've been getting compliments on it in places that I've been speaking. People are saying not only that it's been very helpful, but that it also um, obviously took a great deal of work. So, Kim, thank you for that. Oh, my I'll, pleasure. I'll I'm that happy that it's out there. Checking out Della, the go ahead. app, the great, thing, yeah, the great thing with the app is um, how you get linked to specific either podcasts or part of the Lives in the Balance website that really flesh out what, say, getting a lagging skill worded, you know, and uh, getting an unsolved problem worded right. It really gives the immediate access to resources. So I would strongly recommend, if you know, in the early days when we were talking about, like, gosh, I wish there was an app to help track um, lagging skills and unsolved problems, I mean, this is exactly what, I was imagining having access to in an app. So thank you, Kim, for all your work. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. Uh, Jennifer or Stella, anything you all want to start with today? Uh, just I, I said to Kim that I thought it was important to mention the summit coming up because we won't have another radio show before that. Uh, so... But you've already covered that. That was my one big thing. <laughs> Got it. And there's gonna. Uh, are we anticipating a big showing from the B team, our Facebook group for parents? Well, there has been a lot of talk. I know several people who have already registered, and several more who are talking about registering. And I keep encouraging them to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, we are looking forward to getting a chance to meet lots of the people that we see 
on the screen. Uh, and we do have, when you register, there is a place that you can mention that you are a B-Team member, and you will be identified as such. We have places, designated tables for B-Teamers to sit together so that we'll get a chance to meet each other and cross from imaginary to real life. And Dr. Green, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Jennifer has put out on the B team that there's going to be some sort of ridiculously delicious cake that she's making. <laughs> I did. I, I might have bribed the yeah. teamers with chocolate cake. <laughs> oh my. Which I'm happy to also share with the Lives in the Balance staff, of course. Um, you know, people always are on diets at the wrong time, I always say, but that's that's a month away, so I've still got time to come off of it once I reach my goal. Yeah. It's a twenty layer chocolate peanut butter cake. Oh my. It's quite impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we should move off that topic as quickly as possible. <laughs> now, now, we do have a caller, but let me ask Stella if she has anything she'd like to start with today before we move on to our caller from the 416 area code. Callers take precedent. Let's do it. Callers take precedence, and let's move to our <laughs> caller. Area code 416, which I believe is the Toronto area. Um, you're on. How are you today? Hi there, I'm good. How are you? We are all well, it seems. What's 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 up today? Um, so I'm uh I recently um reread the book The Explosive Child and um I have a very challenging child at home that really kind of um things really escalated this summer with I I believe it's like anxiety for him. And we had a lot of norm, our normal responses or, or expectations, just like all of a sudden we're not being um, net. And um, so I, you know, reread the book and I've been starting, I've started to um, use plan B for about the last month, but my husband is super reluctant. And um, that I would say is like kind of the biggest struggle for us at the moment and he has a really hard time understanding why our son struggles at home but not at school or in any other environment. So um, I'm trying to figure out how I can sort of help him see that this is the better way to parent. Well, we actually have at least one parent on the program who has been through something similar so I'm going to let Stella take the first crack at this because she had what we might call a reluctant husband, but um, he has largely come around. Stella, any words of wisdom for our mom who's calling in here? Hi. Um, I so hear you. Um, I, I wish I could say had. <laughs> it's, it's a constant work in progress. Um, and I'm always reaching out to Kim and Jennifer actually um, asking how do I work CPS into my marriage? Um, my husband um, still, even though he understands the model um, in the book and he gets it, he, he listens to the radio programs, he watches the videos, he gets it and agrees with it all just fine when everything is hunky-dory, but in the heat of the moment, um, he he still kind of flips over into the other side and, and goes back to some plan A statements. So I'm I'm always kind of putting my hands on that wheel 
so to speak, mm-hmm. um, because the, the lens change hasn't hasn't been permanent. But the the nugget that I offer him is when when we are not in the heat of the moment, that's the time to really kind of sit down and review what aspects of the model do make sense. And um, the lens shift comes from being away from the heat of the moment. So you review, gosh, look at look at my son. He's he's sitting quietly and he's got a smile on his face and he's he's laughing and he's doing a preferred activity. What about this environment right now is working for him? Um, okay. And I ask my husband to collect those um, aspects of when things are going well, so that he okay. has them front and center. Um, when when things aren't going well. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, that's a really good tip, actually. I like that. Um, Jennifer, okay. actually, maybe you can um, um, expand on this. So she, she had a suggestion to have, like, a, a, a safe word <laughs> um, to... <laughs> to mention to your spouse when the heat of the moment is happening to help remind him now's the time to do whatever you can to switch that lens. Um, Jennifer, can you, can you expand on that a bit? Sure. Uh, my husband was also very reluctant, much longer than me. Um, he called CPS a bunch of hooey at one point. <laughs> I like to remind him of that. And told me that I was coddling our son and that oh, yeah. he was never going that. to get out of this place if I didn't try to make him understand. Mm-hmm. And right. so, you know, I would say to him, well, that hasn't worked so well so far. Uh, but in our house, we both we agreed that we would both do it our own way for a little while. And what happened there is that he saw my way working really well for my son and me. And he saw his way just making things harder for him Mm -hmm. with our son. And at some point I did, I said to him, okay, I have a suggestion because he was very, very adamant about not wanting me to plan B him at that point. He said, I recognize what you're doing, and I'm not interested in being a part of this. Mm -hmm. So I said, "Can, can I make a suggestion? He said, sure. I said, in the moment when things between our son and you are so difficult, if I can see it escalating, would you be okay if we just created a code word that I could say very quietly to you? And then it's not like I'm challenging you in front of him, Mm -hmm. but it gives you an opportunity to take a breath, to take a step back, to tag me off, to let me step in, or to just recognize that, you're getting into a place where it's becoming a battle of wills and Mm -hmm. no one is going to win. Right. And at first he was, he said yes. And the first few times that I tried it, he was really still not interested in being a part of it and things ended up blowing up. Okay. Um, Then over time he started to, if I would, if I would go over and just kind of put my hand on his shoulder and say it, 
he would say to Will, you know what, I'm going to let you talk to Mommy for a little while. And he would step back and he would watch what I did to try and, and make it to bring the situation down. Mm-hmm. And finally, one night, things came to a very ugly head between them. Um, and I wasn't sure that they were ever going to get past what had happened in that confrontation. And okay. he said to me, okay, teach me about your way because my way isn't working. But I think that the reason that he was able to get there was because he'd been able to watch me take a situation that he was escalating and bring it down. Right. Okay. Um, and then he agreed that night to come and hear Dr. Green speak at the summit. That was not last year, but the year before. And, um, you know, Dr. Green, I always say that listening to us talk about it is one thing, but listening to you talk about it, you make it sound so very easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that made a big, huge difference for him, even more so than watching his way through the videos, which also helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the walking tour for parents that's on the website, mm-hmm. that was where he started that night when he said to me, teach me more about your way. I said, all right, I want you to start with these videos because it was much easier for him to watch the videos than it was to try and read the book or learn from me. Mm-hmm. So instead of my trying to teach him, he'd listen to the videos and then watch me actually do it. And right. that okay. made the biggest difference of all. And okay. the code word was very helpful. So yeah, if you'll agree I can see to that it. because <laughs> I get that feedback as well. Like I'm undermining him or I'm making him look bad in front of the kids like he doesn't know what he's doing. And, um, uh, yeah, so it doesn't, it's, I'm trying to be helpful, but it's he's not receiving it as helpful. And it's so. it's hard to sit back and watch something you know is going to end badly. Yes, it's but very you hard. I don't want to make him feel like, you know, I, I think that for a while I made my husband feel like he was a bad parent, which wasn't my intention, Yeah, but right. that was how he was perceiving what I was putting out. Mm-hmm. Right. So this right. became a way that, it wasn't me cutting him off with our son. It was me just calling his attention back around. Mm-hmm. And then right. he was able to step back. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell and you, the, hope you the are, hope. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> if you are on the B team on Facebook, if you're part mm-hmm. or interested in joining the B team, and you put just even a, a vague post about, um, struggling to have your spouse on board, you will receive so much empathy from so many people. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, several suggestions that have been parts of threads within the B team about this, um, I just kind of quietly collect them in my in my notebook and, and continue to chisel away at this. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you very much. Tim, what were you going to say? I was just going to mention, yeah, that um, so you heard Jennifer's story. So two summits ago, her husband, her Dr. Green, then last year's summit, her husband shared his story publicly on a parent panel about his change in lenses. So just to hammer home that the hope is there. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, and actually we might be able to put video up of that uh, at some point. We've got a lot going on now, but that um, look for that to come up um, in, in yeah, the next several be, weeks or so. Yeah, that would be really great to be able to see that. I, I joked with him that he was there as the great white hope. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> but uh but no, there were several dads in the audience who cried listening to him because I think they saw so much of themselves in what he was saying. Right. Okay. And moms yep. too that cried just saying, Oh <laughs> that's what I hope for. <laughs> Let me ask our mom from Toronto, um Anything else that um, you want to cover here that you think would be helpful to you? The only other thing I want to, I'm interested in knowing uh, any tips on is once your child reaches the point of like going into sort of that fight flight mode or explosive situation, I'm what I struggle with at times when it gets to that is how to best de-escalate that. What we've done in the past is actually like hold him, but I feel like that's not an effective long-term solution. Um, and I just, it's so, I've tried to talk to him outside of like during call moments about what would be helpful. And he's very reluctant to talk about it and to share. So I know that's like something, an unsolved problem obviously that we need to continue to try to figure out. But I'm just wondering if you have any tips on like sort of de-escalating when it gets to that point to keep everyone safe and to like he, he tends to like attack the house, like throw things down, kick walls. Well, usually um, episodes like that are set in motion by adults placing an expectation on a kid that the kid is having difficulty meeting. Mm-hmm. So the best strategy is to, at least at that moment, back off on the expectation. Mm-hmm. That is your best option for defusing. Okay. Um, that's. You know, there are kids that I've worked with who we've um, come up with a uh, chill-out place, a place that both parent or caregiver and kid go to, not time-out, chill-out, so yeah. that they can just collect themselves and calm themselves down. But I would say that your most reliable strategy for defusing is to remove the expectation temporarily get a handle on what just went on, possibly add Mm -hmm. it to your list of the ones that you want to be working on. Remember, Plan C doesn't cause challenging episodes because that's an expectation that you've completely removed, at least for now. Right. Plan B, if you're doing it proactively, you know, occasionally kids do get a little bit bit agitated in the midst of Plan B, mostly because – Plan B might be hard for them in some ways. But the main thing that's causing challenging episodes is an adult using Plan A on an expectation that a kid is having difficulty meeting. Um, Back off on the expectation, and it should chill out. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, the, the one incident that comes to mind that was recent was I was sitting helping him with his homework, And we were working through it. Um, We've come up with a strategy that's sort of like I help him. And um, it seems to have been working. And he just, I don't know, all of a sudden just got really frustrated through his pencil and started like slamming chairs down. And I tried really hard to say, like, it's okay. We don't need to do it right now. Like he was just already far gone. And it just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Stella, Jennifer, you guys have lived through that. (laughs) 
Um, besides backing I, off on the expectation, what have you found to be effective once somebody has um, lost it completely? In the calm after the storm, you said he's been reluctant to talk to you. Try mm-hmm. the five-finger method. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just became familiar with that, so I haven't yeah, really tested that, that out yet. That was a lifesaver in our house in the beginning years that we were starting out with using CPS. And I still, on occasion, will will pull it out of my pocket because it's still one of the things that works best with him. And when we started doing it, we would do the five-finger method. He would be in his bed, under his covers, with all of his stuffed animals piled on top of him and just one hand sticking out. And I would say to him, you know, okay, I'm going to try and guess what the problem was. And my first couple guesses, I would guess something really ridiculous, like "Mm, there was an alien trapped in your pencil. And, you know, I could practically hear him rolling his eyes at me under the blanket. (laughs) But, um, and work, you know, pass and then, you know, work from there into a couple suggestions that I thought might be kind of true and then see if I could hone in on what the problem was. And okay. I know you said that you were familiar with the five, you just learned about the five-finger method. For anyone mm-hmm. listening who doesn't know what it is, it's, you know, you make a guess as to what the concern is, and the kid will give you fingers one to five. So one finger is, no, that's not it at all. Five fingers is, yes, that's it exactly. And when he was really sort of turtled into himself, we would do just a thumbs up, thumbs down, because right. even five yep. fingers was too many. Uh, and that was a huge lifesaver for us, uh, just in terms of being able to start to learn how to get inside his head when he couldn't talk to me. Even though he wanted me to know what was going on, he just couldn't get the words out. His anxiety just wouldn't even let him tell me what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that helped a lot. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, we just call it the one thumb method. It's thumbs up, thumbs medium, <laughs> thumbs down, and um, and my son has gotten to the point. He's 15 and a half, and when he starts saying I don't know during a proactive plan B, then I know that he's really tangled up in whatever's going on, and we just go to thumbs up, thumbs medium, thumbs down, and all of a sudden. He, it's just like it's a portal opens and he, he starts being able to articulate a little bit more of what he's been holding in for a long mm-hmm. time. So I don't, I don't even hesitate anymore. As soon as I hear an I don't know, I give him the option for thumbs up. And he, he is, as of yet, not said no to that. Good. I guess so my one other my one other question is just when my husband says, Hey, okay, I get this plan B, um, you know, if he if he starts to kind of like go along with it, but like I don't understand why he does this at not at school and anywhere else, but just at home. How would you explain that? Because home that's is the prototypical that's the prototypical presentation, by the way. Yeah, okay. um, the majority of kids who are explosive explode at home and not at school. Uh, yeah. Coming in second are kids who are in both places. <laughs> coming in third are kids who explode at school and not at home. Mm-hmm. But um, most of us look a lot better outside the home than we do in it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the expectations can be very different in both environments. Schools tend to be much more structured. There are kids whose medicate this may not be yours, but there are kids whose medication where uh, is in effect at school and not in effect at home. Mm-hmm. But I find that the biggest issue is what I would call the embarrassment factor. Um, mm-hmm. There are some kids, obviously not the ones who are exploding at school as well, but there are most uh, peop- most a lot of the kids that I've worked with have been able to keep themselves very tightly wrapped at school, uh, and they'll actually say, "I'd be too embarrassed to explode at school," mm-hmm. and then decompensate or lose it at home where they are not quite as embarrassed or some people have said feel safer. Mm -hmm. Um, But it might be comforting to your husband to know that that's the prototypical presentation. It would also be comforting to your husband to know, to to point out to him, you know, what the ALSIP has people do is make a list of the expectations that a, a kid is having difficulty meeting. Mm-hmm. But the very vast majority of behaviorally challenging kids are meeting more expectations than they're not. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's good to point that out because that's often a good reminder that, um, you know what, uh, these episodes are not uh, happening all the time. They are happening some of the time in response to some expectations. Yeah. There must be something going on with those expectations. Now, your husband might respond, as people do, with, well, those are just the things he doesn't want to do. But he's actually, your son is actually meeting those expectations some of the time, too, just not reliably. So, like, mm-hmm. he was working with you on the homework, but then he lost it. Something mm-hmm. just happened, right? So it's not that yeah. he doesn't want to do his homework, I guess, any more than any other kid doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. I've not met many who are enthusiastic about homework, but he was <laughs> hanging in there. Yeah. And what we're missing here is information about yeah. why under some conditions can your son meet an expectation and under others cannot. Um, mm-hmm. Why is this expectation throwing your son for a loop and there are so many that he's meeting without any difficulty? You only Mm -hmm. get that information through the empathy step of plan B. You Mm -hmm. don't get that information when a child is sitting in timeout. You don't get that information when you are punishing your child in some other way or withholding Mm -hmm. privileges. You get that information in the empathy step of plan B, and that's when you really have an understanding of what's really going on with your kid. And that Mm -hmm. tends to be when many parents start to feel kind of badly not only about the information they've been lacking, mm-hmm. but also about the um, the way they've been going about trying to do things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, since I have begun doing Plan B with him, he has started to open up more. There's times when he's less enthusiastic about talking about something, but I have noticed. I, I see it's effective. <laughs> like I'm sold on it. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, good luck good. in persuading your husband. Your son yeah. is meeting more expectations than he's not. What we're missing mm-hmm. on the ones that he's not meeting is info. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And take the time to actually list and document the expectations that he is meeting, no matter how small. And that's right. another great thing about the B team is um, when one of the moderators will prompt for people to say, even if it's a teeny tiny little success, list it here, because um, we forget we we forget to pay attention to the good stuff. 
that's so true. You get so caught up in the in the sort of unsolved problems, the negative aspects of things that you forget to look at the positives and what's working well. Right, so, right. So yeah. it's worth the, it's worth the time and the effort to collect those and review them with not only with your husband, also but also with your child. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. I had to I had to remind myself to say out loud, "Hey, look at you. I I just asked you to stop doing something you love to do, asked you to do something you don't love to do, and you just stood up and did it without asking questions, without refusing. I'm so proud of you." You know, and I, I had to put that into my into my parameter to remember to say because I don't say that. Right. Yeah, just to give him that recognition for sure correct yeah okay well thank you very very much that was really helpful you've gotten a ton of information here i hope it's been helpful to you it has thank you so much as always thanks for calling in okay take care take care bye goodness there's a lot of wisdom wisdom on this program i I almost can't stand it, but here we go. <laughs> we we do have uh, we do have uh, a few emails here. I don't see another caller at the moment, so let me give the call-in number again. Although we're already, believe it or not, running out of time on the program, but once again, it's three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one. But here is another one. Uh, thanks for all of the resources on the Lives in the Balance website. I really respect your approach because it truly respects the child. I will be using Plan B, but I have a few questions. My 11-year-old nephew will be entering the sixth grade and has had difficulty making friends for the last several years due due to his lack of social skills. He has felt alone, frustrated, and at one point even talked about harming himself. He has also been the victim of bullying. We give him plenty of emotional support, and we've tried to help him learn social skills. However, the lessons don't seem to stick, and he's reluctant to try to make friends because of past rejection. His difficulties include, number one, difficulty making eye contact with others. Number two, difficulty in turn-taking during conversations. Three, talking obsessively to others about topics he's interested that may not be of interest to others. Four, is not observant of others and the environment, so he misses social cues or doesn't reach out to others to find out about their interests. He's been hurt so many times before that he's reluctant to reach out to kids. Let me, before I continue with this email, make the point that number three, talking obsessively to others is actually a challenging behavior. I would probably reword that one to difficulty talking to kids about topics that will be of interest to them. And that probably takes care of number four as well. So I'd probably meld that into one. Um, My questions are these. One, I've heard you say that you don't address lack of eye contact. Can you kindly explain why? Is it an unsolvable problem? Number two, I've tried to seek out evidence-based solutions. How does the solution that my nephew comes up with in Plan B that addresses both our concerns relate to an evidence-based approach? And those are the two that I think I'll cover here in the time that we have left. Let me cover number two and then um, ask the rest of you to weigh in on number one. Um, 
approaches are evidence-based, but solutions are not evidence-based. An approach like collaborative and proactive solutions has a meaningful amount of research behind it at this point, and that's why it is now considered to be evidence-based. A solution becomes evidence-based when it works. If a solution is working, there's the evidence you need that it's an evidence-based solution. But generally speaking, uh, we don't refer to solutions as evidence-based except for the fact that they're working, but models can be recognized as evidence-based, and collaborative and proactive solutions is one of them. So let's talk about eye contact, and I'm going to defer to others of you. My main comment is that it tends to be an extremely low priority. But let's That's see what, what the rest of you have to say about that. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing, that it tends to be a small fish because it doesn't lead to tremendous difficulties when you think, you know, thinking it through that maybe some of these other ones would be um, more useful and beneficial to him to take on than the eye contact. I, that would go to the bottom of my list. I will say when um, we were progressing through several of our um, higher intensity priorities with my son, um, and we came to a, a place for several months where things were smooth and calm. I did um, work with eye contact, not from the point of view of having him develop the uh, ability to stay focused with somebody, but more from self-advocating. So I, he and I had conversations about how it makes him feel when somebody says, you're not looking at me, you're not listening to me. Um, and I helped him um, figure out how he wanted to word explaining to people, I might not be looking at you, but I hear everything you're saying. Um, so that he could self-advocate in mm. that moment. Mm -hmm. And um, along with that, for my son, it wasn't just, the fact that he wasn't making eye contact, it was also the fact that it would take him over 30 seconds to respond, um, not because he was looking away, but as he explained it to me, he, he, he sees words in his mind and, as dots and fragments, and it takes him a while to accumulate them. Um, so I, again, helped him to be able to come up with a way to explain to somebody that during a conversation was calling him on either not responding right away or not looking and gave him words to say, I am listening, I'm thinking about what you're saying, give me a little bit longer. Very nice. And that, to me, is a better skill to develop yeah. than let me shift my gaze over to you and do something that I'm not instinctively wired to do. Yeah. That's incredible. Yep. I For hope us, that that was, was helpful the same to our thing. emailer. Go ahead, Jennifer. That so many people equated not looking at me with not listening to me. Mm -hmm. And when we were able to, you know, when uh, Michelle Garcia Winner talks about whole body listening, mm -hmm. and we were able to point out that there were other ways that you could tell that he was hearing what you were saying. Um, in both the way that he carried himself and in what he did after you finished talking to him showed that he was hearing what you were saying and that a lot of his inability to make eye contact was born out of anxiety about the conversation. And as 
we got further along with CPS and just plan seed eye contact and were able to get him into a place where he felt more confident because he knew that he had a voice and because he knew that we were going to work with him instead of against him, uh, the more eye contact he was able to make. So it's something that we plan seed in that, for the most part, corrected itself as we took on other bigger things. It wasn't even that it was a low priority. It was that it became, you know, the correction of it was fallout from our addressing other things that were more troubling. I hope that was helpful. We do have another caller. And while I'm reluctant to do this because we only have four and a half minutes left on the program, <laughs> let's see what let's see if we can help somebody in four minutes or less. Area code nine four nine, you're on the yep. air. Hi, my name is Deborah. I live in New York. Don't um, don't use names though. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> we're we're um, be, I'm a beginner of CPS. I'm in the process of reading. Um, the explosive child, as well as going through the information of starting the walking tour. And I have two kind of hopefully quick questions for you. Um, I'm having difficulty um, putting together the unsolved problem list, as well as the lacking skills list. For the unsolved problem list, I feel like the list is so long and it just keeps going and going. And so the question there is, at what point do I just stop and use what I've got and start there. And the second question for the lacking skills list is, um, in reading your book, you um, are very careful the words you use to describe those lacking skills. And I'm worried that the lacking skills that I try to list out might not be the right ones or might not be written correctly. And I'm wondering how I know if I've if I've captured it correctly and it's a good, clean, lacking skill that would go with the unsolved problem? Well, the second, these are great questions, and thank you for calling. The second question's easy. Are you aware that there is something called the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems on the Lives in the Balance website? And that will make it so you don't have to worry about the wording of the lagging skills. They're worded for you. Okay. Great. Okay. So you want to look you. that up at and you'll find how to use it in the walking tour for parents okay. in the CPS resources section of the website on the upper nav okay. bar. If you go to CPS resources, you'll see a uh, parents and families section, and the first thing you'll find in there is the walking tour, and the second section in there is going to introduce you to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and teach you how to use it as for number, uh, as for, for your first question, yeah. people who are new to this um, often do have kids who have very long lists of unsolved problems. Mm-hmm. And it is a huge favor to finally memorialize those unsolved problems. I think a comprehensive list is actually a good thing, even though it can be overwhelming because it's very hard to prioritize what to start working on. You you only get to pick two or three to start working on in the beginning if you don't have a comprehensive list. But many kids who have been challenging for a while, there are many, many, many expectations that they've been having difficulty meeting for a very long time. Um, You want the whole list before you get to work. 
um, just okay. so that it helps you prioritize. If you prioritize before you have the whole list, you may find that you have things that you happen upon later um, that if you made your whole list, that's where you would have started. Here's the other really cool thing, if there is such a thing, about having a long list of unsolved problems. It helps you take a look from the 10,000-foot view and say, my goodness, look at all the expectations he or she is having difficulty meeting. Um, should we take a look at what we're expecting of our kid? Um, are our expectations in whack or out of whack, given the sheer number of things that he or she is having difficulty meeting reliably? And so the other nice thing about a long list of unsolved problems is, is it helps you do a gut check. Mm -hmm. um, there you have it. Two quick answers to two quick questions, unfortunately. <laughs> That's you. the best we can do today, but you are welcome to call in next week. Thank you for calling today. And team, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, it is so nice to be back on the line with you again. And Likewise. let's do it again next month, shall we? Thank you. Yeah. Good. Take care, all. <laughs>